Welcome back to The Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. Dyson's here. Hello. And this is Dark Adaptation. Welcome to episode 18, the last episode of April. Nice. And uh, guess what? What is it, Brianna? For May, it's gonna be May. Okay, we're changing things up. <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> we're gonna. We are going to actually release a schedule, so our listeners know what episodes we're going to cover, and they have something to look forward to. I love that. Also, you know, organization because, like, huge fan, huge fan. I'm not. I'm not a big organization guy. <laughs> Listen, I am, and I'm the one that has to deliver. I've got about 1,500 unread emails in my Gmail account. Don't don't tell me that. That's a lie, right? Yeah, it's like 1,500 and like 58 oh. or something. It's probably an odd number. It's like 57. <gasps> Why? Do you know how many unread emails I have? Zero. Because I read them all and they go in a folder or they get deleted. Oh. You're, I don't, can't talk. I'm a madman. I can't talk about this Real anymore. big fan of that search function really can't talk about this anymore <laughs> so anyway back to what i was saying because i can't like i really can't talk about this anymore at the end <laughs> she really can't <laughs> at the end of the last episode of the month so like hi today we're going to uh randomly pick next month's episodes so like i have this spreadsheet that has all of the cases and stories and stuff that i plan on covering and we are going to randomly pick from that list. So there's like going to be uh, exceptions, obviously. Like, remember when you agreed that you were going to do episode 20? I do remember that. I so do recall. that episode is coming out on May 9th. Woo. Because we release every Monday. I'm sure our, our loyal fans know that by now. Mm-hmm. But episode 9 will be your or episode 20 20. may 9th will be your episode so obviously we're not going to randomly generate an episode for that Mm -hmm. a case for that episode but what are you going to be covering i am doing a spooky episode oh my god it's gonna be spooky and it's gonna be real nerdy yeah i yeah i'm not i'm not gonna uh, i was gonna give you a spoiler but i'm not not a spoiler a little little teaser but um, oh, yeah. But you still have to tell us what it is, because remember, we're releasing a schedule. Oh, right. Okay. All right. <laughs> Twist my arm. Do you not want to? We can say Dyson's... I don't want to su- now. No, we can say Dyson's surprise episode or something. No, no. No, no. no, no. It's going to be The Hauntings of Parliament Hill. I love it. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yeah. That's right up your alley, you fucking Nothing weed. spookier than a bunch of old white men, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, you don't gotta tell me. Yeah, but it's... I can feel the eyes and the hot breath already. There's a lot of tight sweaters and old men smoking cigars in this episode, let me tell you. <laughs> well, that's exciting. So then... Oh, fuck, I'm like... <laughs> it's just like you gave the same look when you get a brain freeze drinking margaritas. <laughs> <laughs> and i took her to margaritaville it happened baby yeah we went to niagara falls we went to margaritaville we ate nachos that were as tall as me mm-hmm. and oh margaritas were so good and were yes good. i gave myself one or 18 brain freezes mm-hmm. 
didn't help that they heated up the whole place Why so you'd drink so more. Hot in there? So you would drink more. <laughs> Fucking hell. It was a sauna. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that when we got our like slushy margaritas that was not like they were still slushies. I'm surprised. Yeah, and at Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville, that's what this place is called. Not one Jimmy Buffett song came on over the course no. of like three hours. I'll give you an example of what we were subjected to. First of all, the worst music videos in the world. Second of all, ZZ Top. ZZ Top and like, hey, uh, hey, what the fuck? Outcast. Outcast, Outcast yeah. <gasps> Brutal. No, no song I was a fan of. There was like, the only like new ish song was a Selena Gomez feature or something. And I don't really mind selena gomez yeah. so i was like fine i can i can tolerate this but like oh lord i'll admit that there we was stuck in time i'll admit there was one song that had been that is on my playlist for spotify what, what? you won't put out my star fire no? no i don't remember her name but that was on there it's well, a great song you're welcome for that rendition by the way whoever's a fan of whatever her name is enjoy. i love how it's in you hate Wow. <laughs> it's in your liked songs on spotify which is like eight songs and you don't even know that's not true there's like 1557 unlistened to songs in that playlist <laughs> oh my god okay so anyway we did go to margaritaville it was really great also i found out this kid is a fucking whiz at blackjack yeah i am fucking quadrupled our winnings in a total of what 28 seconds yeah, I walked into a table. Literally, they're trying to tell me how the how the signs work, the hand signs. I walk in with $25, and like three hands later, I walk away with $75, and then yeah, what the, we, we... Yeah, because that one was minimum bet 25 and then later on, after we were like, I'm sick of slots, they're a ripoff, we went back. Yeah, I went, I went to Blackjack to fund our slots addiction. <laughs> That's yeah. what I did. And then we sat then down... The, next, the second table was $50 minimum bet. Yeah, so all the other tables were really crowded, so I said, fuck that, let's just go for the 50 then and this one guy next to me as i sat down condescendingly goes this is for 50 so of course i put 60 bucks down Mm -hmm. just to shut him up Mm -hmm. immediately drew 21 won 150 dollars amazing and walked away (laughs) it was great and that guy lost his hand so fuck that guy if you're listening so we went to margaritaville we went to falls view casino and this kid is really wicked at blackjack it was a great time wow how did we get here oh the face i made was like a brain freeze like a margarita Mm -hmm. well anyway our trip in niagara was fun thank you for coming to our travel podcast have a great day we'll catch you on dark side (laughs) (laughs) but we got a long episode okay yeah yeah yeah. so as i was saying we're going to start releasing a schedule on the last episode of the month we're going to randomly pick next month's episodes dyson is doing episode 20 may 9th parliament hill ghosts a lot of creepy white men it'll smell like aqua velva in here (laughs) and scotch (laughs) guard so that means that since today is the last episode of april we're selecting next month's episodes so make sure that you'll stay tuned for the end of this episode because it'll be fun mm-hmm. um yeah also that means that uh, i should give you disclaimer now that this episode is gonna be long we're gonna give you an uncut really long episode it'll be something <laughs> it'll be something else it'll be fun though <laughs> but oh like i said at the end of this episode you got something new to look forward to we're gonna be drawing 
the all of our you know my long ass list we're going to be picking from there randomly so I think it would be cool if you guys made sure that you sent in your case suggestions, stuff that you want to hear. It doesn't have to be a true crime case. If you've been here long enough, you know that we do like spooky shit, Mm -hmm. um, conspiracy theories, like anything dark. That's why it's dark adaptation. Yeah. Send something, send something into the, the dark adaptation mailbag. Yes. The mailbag, AKA dark adaptation podcast at gmail.com. Or like through social media. I'm active on Instagram, Dark Adaptation Podcast. Dyson takes care of Twitter, Dark yeah. Adapt Pod. Slide into my DMs, baby. And so I guess with that exciting announcement, <laughs> like I say it like it's oh, with that exciting announcement. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's just get on with this week's episode. Okay. That's what you guys are here for. That's what you're gonna get. Here we go. So we're gonna get real murdery. And wild up in here. Right off the bat. Everyone, brace yourselves. Like I said, this one's going to be a long one. It's going to be uncut. You guys are going to come along with, for this ride with us and uh, strap in. We are revisiting the early days of our little indie baby podcast. Aww. We're going back to the dark, dense, dangerous forest city. We got to go back. Those days were long ago. Yeah. Episode four, five, and six. Episode four, five, and six is when we were in Forest City. And also, shout out to you because I know these ones were the hardest. They were so hard. I know that. I think, and I probably in every episode, I was like, motherfucking Canadian reporting. God damn it, fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really can't stress it to our American listeners how absolutely frustrating it is to try and, like, I was reading in the news today one episode, or, or I was reading in the news today, sorry, and it was just, here. here's the level of detail you get. Employer charged with sexual assault. Oh, woof. Didn't tell us what employee, employer, what business. Would not say that information. Why? Don't know. Because in Canada, everyone has just this fucking giant stick up their ass where they're like we have to protect everyone else are they an absolute piece of shit perpetrator don't care yeah we don't want to out the business they were employed at yeah but how about all of the people that were located in that business worked at that business had affiliations with it they should probably have a right to know yeah and this is the dumb thing is like this is like the oh they're being charged like it's not like there's a gag order or anything they're not in the courts yet when do you know when this happened uh, i read it in the news today so, so maybe I, it's too new or something maybe they just really it was i had know. to scroll like down like three or four like there was there was like six or seven paragraphs of information there it wasn't like this inf- this news is unfolding and we'll update the page or anything oh, that's bullshit yeah. you have to keep us updated if you ever figure that out yeah <clears throat> just so we can out them <laughs> 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 okay so it's yeah from brampton again <laughs> so Brampton is wild yeah. and always. Yeah. So like I say, yeah, uh, this is like way in the early days of the pod, episode four, five, and six. But don't worry, I'm gonna give you a quick rundown of the gross little ghouls that we had talked about. I'll talk about the city, the overall just the overall fuckery mm-hmm. that uh, we talked about in those three episodes to refresh everyone's memory. Ready? Ready.
Forest City is what people call London, a city located in the southwestern region of Ontario, Canada. Today, its population is over 400,000, with a reported crime rate of quote-unquote moderate. Oh, but good. any look form that I was looking at, the residents are like, fuck this place. Yeah. This place is pretty rough in most areas. I can't even walk downtown without getting catcalled or potentially mugged. I can't walk around at night. It's The level is so high of just danger. Mm-hmm. But throughout the 60s and 70s, London averaged 200,000 residents, and the crime rate was definitely worse, but clearly it hasn't improved much. Remember, the city had multiple serial killers in their midst, all operating around the same time. Of the many serial killers, three were arrested and charged. Christian McGee, a.k.a. the Mad Slasher, a.k.a. Mutton Chops. (laughs) That's the name we gave him. Uh, Yeah. He was the first serial killer case to be solved in Forest City. He was arrested on June 16th, 1976. Mutton Chops took the lives of Judith Ann Barksy, Louise, Louise Jenner, and Susan Lynn Scholes. And this is a case that we covered in episode six. So to hear all about the Mad Slasher, Mutton Chops, Christian McGee, whatever the fuck, listen to episode six. That one is pretty intense. They're all intense. They all... Forest City was straight intense all the way through. God, what is in the water? We'll make a playlist for you guys at some point. Make one. I already did on Spotify, Forest City. Oh, shout out, Forest City. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so then we got Russell Johnson, a.k.a. the Bedroom Strangler, a.k.a. Krusty Rusty. Mm -hmm. That was the second dude. Uh, He was arrested on July 28th, 1977. Krusty Rusty took the lives of Mary Catherine Hicks, Alice Jane Ralston, Eleanor Diane Hartwick, Doris Ethel Brown, Diane Bates, Luella George, and Donna Veldboom. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of people. This is a case we covered in episode four. And I know it's like, it just sounds fucking like weird to say, but this is actually my favorite episode. This is the episode that I, I'm like the most proud of for covering the research I did um, it is in our early days, but um, it was kind of like the first real hard-hitting episode that we did on Dark Adaptation. Yeah. and Got to cut your teeth. Yeah. And like, yeah. I don't know, it's one that I'm most proud of. And it's also really fucking scary. Yeah. Well, can I say something? Absolutely. Fucking proud of you, bitch. Thank you, bitch. Love you. Love you, too. Um, bedroom Strangler. Mm. What did he do? He fucking well he scaled fucking walls yeah he literally yeah excuse me i was like well isn't he the one that like (laughs) the other i was like he's also the one that snuck into people's beds lied next to them yes that was the part that i was gonna say first but then i was like pardon me he scaled walls yes in episode four you have to listen to it it's fucking wild he he would like stalk his victims he would pick them out and if they lived in an apartment didn't fucking matter what floor they lived in he would scale the walls and he would climb up onto their balcony break in and watch them sleep he would go around the apartment and like rearrange things he was obsessed with doing people's dishes which was really fucking yeah i forgot about that he that was his thing yeah and like if they were sleeping and he wasn't ready to like fucking kill them or assault them or whatever he would just lay next to them and like oh Yep. 
he's scary. He's a nightmare. He's like, if you think of a serial killer and the terrifying shit they do, like Russell Johnson, crusty, rusty bedroom strangler, mm-hmm. he's like pinnacle. Yeah, and a, a big serial killer is always just one of those ones that you're just like, woof. But like, he's, so he's a big serial killer who crawled up a wall to get in your apartment he's already in your apartment by the time you see him and he's a big dude yeah he is a big he was a bodybuilder right yeah he was yeah he was a bodybuilder like amateur bodybuilder but yeah (laughs) so he's riding out without any of the oversight and he was like always drinking so like whiff 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 doesn't he know that that's gonna affect your gains brah um, he scaled the apartment (laughs) building walls i don't think he had to worry about it yeah i was putting in overtime sorry (laughs) All right, so then the third serial killer from Forest City, Gerald Archer. So even though Gerald Archer, a.k.a. the chambermaid slayer, a.k.a. Dennis Reynolds, he was found guilty (laughs) and technically he was the first Forest City's... Oh, wow. This sentence. He was found guilty and technically the first of Forest City's serial killers to be sent to prison in June 1971. Mm-hmm. He was only sentenced for murdering his last victim, and her name was Belva Russell. Right. But DNA would point him uh, point to him as the murderer of his last of his first victim, Jane Woolley, and that did not happen until 2000. The second victim, Edith Otier, is unofficially credited credited to him but her case is still technically unsolved but the mm-hmm. opp and the london police are like we fucking know it yeah like him. come on like it's just missing that like one tangential tan yeah. tangential fool i know right Tan- I guess you to get tongue twisted yeah you know what i mean yeah the that like that last link yes but they're like we fucking know it everything else matches yeah so this was make this makes him the third serial killer case to be resolved in for a city um we covered this one in episode five so yeah just go back listen to episode four five and six if you want to be part of a really fucking crazy ride yeah that's insane so remember if you can go back to these early episodes according to lee meller who is the author of cold north killers canadian serial murder it's a long book title lee there's been more than 60 serial murderers in canadian history right of those 60, at least six, and some speculate as many as nine serial killers, emerged from London, Ontario. Yep. And between 1959 and 1984, that window. Yeah, so high concentration. 25 years. Like, mm-hmm. eh, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That means for a quarter century, London had the greatest number of active serial killers, and to this day, still holds the record in all of north america we did it (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's not funny crusty rusty get out of here if i went down from some guy named crusty rusty (laughs) oh my god the bedroom strangler oh actually i just i think my least favorite would be chops mutton chops mutton chops come on everyone makes fun of that guy everyone i hope everyone makes fun of all of them (laughs) yeah 13 of the 32 murders in London and surrounding regions have been attributed to the Chambermaid Slayer, the Bedroom Strangler, and the Mad Slasher. Mm-hmm. The links among the remaining 19 victims suggest at least three additional serial killers, and like I said, as many as nine, were also operating during this time. So uh, remember, London emerged 
uh, London averaged around 200,000 residents during this period. Mm-hmm. And big cities like New York and Los Angeles only had up to four confirmed serial killers active at any given time. Right. So if we compare... So it's like New York had like a little drop in a bucket full of water. Mm-hmm. What did London have? Well, if we compare the population to like London's population to New York and LA, and mm-hmm. if it was on par with that... That would be the equivalent of 80 to 100 serial killers walking the streets at once. That's how fucked up this place was. Mm -hmm. So you've heard the cases of the three known serial killers and the stories of the innocent women they murdered. And like I said, if you haven't, then you got to go back and listen to episode four, five, and six. Mm -hmm. But sadly, there's other women whose brutal murders have gone unsolved. To this day, they and their families have never received the answers they need or the closure they deserve. Sixteen-year-old Jacqueline Dunleavy finished her shift at the Stanley Variety Store located at Stanley Street and Warncliffe Road. At approximately 6.30 p.m. on January 9th, 1968, she headed south to her usual bus stop, just two blocks away from the store. It would have been really dark outside and really cold because it's fucking January. Yeah. <laughs> January is ice cold around here. Mm-hmm. Multiple witnesses reported seeing her waiting at the bus stop, but one witness saw a white four-door sedan Uh, believed to possibly be a Chrysler, pull up to the stop where she was waiting and she got in the car. At around 7 p.m., Jacqueline's parents grew concerned because she should have been home by then. And she was like really punctual and she worked the same shift. So it was out of character for her. Her mother began calling around. So she first called the store that she worked at and they were like she was like yo like is she there was she held up at work what's going on and whoever was taking over the shift after was like no man like she's already left she's not here Mm -hmm. so her mother called the london transit commission to see if the buses were behind schedule nope then she started calling jacqueline's friends to see if jacqueline was with one of them or if they knew where she was and all of her friends were like no man we haven't heard from her this evening like I don't know where she is. Mm -hmm. So obviously it was zero luck from all of those phone calls. Jacqueline's father, who was also the constable, Constable John Dunleavy, he began his own search. So he got in his car and he started driving around. He was like, the best thing to do right now would be to retrace Jacqueline's steps. Let's drive the usual route that she would take. So he was he was driving around looking for any trace of her. Because he's like, well, I don't know, maybe, like, maybe she's still at the stop. Like, maybe the buses are behind and, and like, they just didn't know. Yeah. Um. She, maybe she decided to walk for whatever reason. I'll see if I can find her. And maybe there was, like, trouble near the variety store. I don't know. He was just like, I'm hopeful. I'm going to get out there. I'll find her. Yeah, you can miss your bus. Takes another 15 minutes. You just say or yeah. 30 minutes oh, you say fuck the, it i'm gonna walk maybe the bus was like running late and and like whoever the mother talked to on the phone didn't know she was like fuck this i'll go to the other stop mm-hmm. or like whatever like you don't know what could have happened yeah sadly 
Yeah. He wouldn't find her when he was driving around. Okay. At roughly 8.10 p.m., three teenagers were headed to the London Hunt and Country Club. It's just like a golf course, I'm pretty sure. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a bunch of teenagers going out hunting at 8 p.m. in January. I know. No, they were going to go tobogganing. Oh, okay. (laughs) It's the 60s in January, okay? They're like, all we have is tobogganing. That makes sense. (laughs) So on their way past the Catherine Harley School for Retrainable Retarded Children. That's the old name, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? It's it's rough. Yeah. Sorry about it. Uh, it is. You're, you're right. It is the old name. Like today it's called Matthews Hall Independent School. But I, I have a question and I don't mean this in any way other than I'm genuinely curious. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between like this is called retrainable retarded children what the fuck is retrainable i don't know as opposed to the like there's kids that aren't that's a fuck school what the fuck school is it like boarding school for people who were having challenges like yeah but like that's really rude to say that some are retrainable and some aren't and also retrainable wow oh yeah well back then they also used they threw around a lot of words you shouldn't but i'm pretty sure they also threw around the word like invalid and shit oh yeah they did you know so like anyway when i was researching that i was just like what the fuck i had to look it up and be like um pardon me did somebody get into this blog and make a fucking rude joke yeah it's bad that's what it was called so anyway they were they're just trying to go tobogganing they walk past the school they discovered jacqueline's battered body there she's lying on her back in the snow with her arms straight down along her sides and her legs perfectly straight her skirt was pulled up and her blouse was torn open oh god just really creepy like she's placed like she's in a fucking coffin or something i was gonna say like she they pushed her down the toboggan hill they hadn't gotten to the golf course yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> the toboggan Hill. The old good old Toboggan Hill. The autopsy later revealed that the left side of Jacqueline's face and head had been severely beaten, but her cause of death was strangulation with her own scarf. Oh, god damn it. Um, there was not any indication that she had been sexually assaulted physically. Okay. Uh, good, uh, like a good speculation that the investigators made though was that her left side, like of her head and face, may have been beaten because if she got into this car, that means she'd be the passenger. So it's a, pa- it's like the passenger side of the vehicle. So maybe when she got in, whoever was in the driver's seat, like, was beating her to like incapacitate her in some way. That's a pretty strong clue right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. And it adds credence to what that eyewitness said. Like I saw her get into that white Chrysler or sedan but most likely a chrysler mm-hmm. during the autopsy a small pe- oh, this part is really weird and i was looking up to to get more context and i really couldn't find anything except dog shit newspaper articles that i could barely read because obviously like someone found them in the basement of grandma's house and tried to scan them in and oh oh yeah woof. okay <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so during the autopsy, a small pack of pink facial tissue was found lodged in the back of Jacqueline's throat. This was like most likely used as some sort of like gag during the murder. But some people think that it was inserted 
by the murderer deliberately, like some sort of sick signature. Like an MO. Yeah, like it's me, the pink facial tissue slayer. Yeah, was it normal to have pink facial tissue too? I have pink facial tissues. Oh. And blue ones too. Here, here, here first, folks, if I go missing. I'll jam them right down your fucking gullet. <laughs> so evidence like this yep. is, is very unique. It is very specific. And investigators, police, whatever, they usually keep this as essentially like hold back evidence so that if people in the community start talking about that, you'd know, well, we have a suspect on our hands because we did not Disclose relay that information. that information to anybody. Right. But for some reason, when they were doing like a press release or talking to the media or whatever, mm-hmm. they told them about this. Oh, that there was no. Th- that these pink tissues, this pack of them were lodged in her throat. So then it apparently escalated to like copycat crimes of people putting tissues down people's throat. And then it became the community became terrified of the so-called tissue slayer. What do you mean copycat? Like murders. Uh, yeah. Of their murders. Yeah. So I was looking it up like, what the fuck is going on here? Is there a tissue slayer? Is that like some sort of like weird faux pas like thing that was going on? I, th- I, you know I couldn't what? find anything. I knew we were in London, but I guess I'm not like in the gears of London to that degree yet because I initially thought like, you know, kids are fucking around. They're like, no, like hey, Timmy, say ah. Crimes. And they just, no, well, straight up murder. And they actually, thought it'd be I, funny. I, I, I should clarify. I don't know if it was murder. It could have just been copycat crimes where like kids fuck around, break a window or something and leave a pink tissue behind me. Gotcha. Still That's fucked. Probably more likely, but yeah. still they fucked up by telling that piece of evidence. And also when I was trying to look it up, like, can I get more information on this so-called tissue slayer that the public was afraid of? But there isn't really anything except dog shit articles. So Okay. Welcome to Canadian Media again. In my defense, um or in my defense for anyone listening being like, Oh my god. I've heard of this before. Like, I didn't look too deeply into it because I just was like, it's not, it's not even a real thing. It's copycat shit. Mm-hmm. Tissue Slayer yeah, isn't a real murderer. It, it, so I was uh, like, I'm not giving all of my attention to it. It's tangential. Thank you. Yeah. You did great. Thanks. Okay. I have to read this quote because it made me vomit in my mouth. Okay. In the book, The Forest City Killer, which is an amazing book. I got a lot of awesome information from it. Mm-hmm. There, the author, Vanessa Brown, puts a quote in there from Detective Herb Jeffrey. So Detective Herb Jeffrey said, quote, we feel the victim knew the person who picked her up, end quote. So when he was asked about the type of person who would commit this crime, this disgusting, violent crime, mm-hmm. um, Herb Jeffrey ruled out an abnormal mind. And he instead said, quote, perverts destroy this was more like the work of a healthy male end quote i take offense to that what the flying fuck herbert so some pig was just horny as shit and and decided that he was going to kidnap sexually assault strangle murder a 16 year old girl and that's just the natural outcome of a healthy man's desires he literally boys will be boys of murder (laughs) no they won't fucking herbert disgusting i'm just like when i read that i was just like are you fucking that's foul yeah that's alarming someone needs to put herbert on a list (sighs) he's probably on it psych he's on it (laughs) (laughs) no he isn't because he's a detective he took himself off of the list okay 
in my limited knowledge of true crime, <laughs> they always want to be involved in the cases. Uh-oh, <laughs> Dramatic country to- music start playing. Sorry. <laughs> Bluegrass. <laughs> Bluegrass. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we watched a documentary and it was, every time they it. introduced a new uh, detective, <laughs> they played dramatic true cr- dramatic bluegrass music <laughs> i was working on this episode i wasn't watching it yeah i was I watching saw the it. meme you made it was gold thanks so let's just forget about herb jeffrey i just had to say that quote because when i was reading it i became enraged yes let's so the investigators worked the crime scene and they found a ton of ed- of evidence they found a bunch mm-hmm. first which is usually like a, is good usually this is the type of evidence you want to find dna mm-hmm. both blood and semen Oh. The semen was on her coat that had been placed beside her body. Okay. And there was other evidence, physical evidence at the crime scene, specifically tire impressions in the snow. Also, that's good to find. So investigators brought in special lighting. They took photographs and made plaster casts of the impressions. Are you sitting there going, special lighting? Yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> when I read it, I went, ah, uh, what does that mean? Like, there's yeah. something like Herb in the back with a flashlight. Like, Is it blue light? Well, I looked it up and special lighting is a term that is used. Yeah. And it's it should be used to capture um, important pieces that have that are like intricate, but could be small or important to the investigation Mm -hmm. so it could be fingerprints indentations shoe and tire track impressions vin uh vehicle identification number okay vin numbers yeah uh very like i said very small pieces of evidence so there's like different techniques that are used to capture these types of evidence Mm -hmm. and in which case you need special lighting so there's alternative light sources uh, which, if you're like, you know, really cool investigator, you just say ALS. We need some ALS up in here. <laughs> so there's like lasers. <laughs> cool as shit. Okay, we're lasers. This is cool so you shit. just get straight up or like rave with it. Yeah. Get blue or green lights, which is preferred. Yeah. And colored filters that help detect latent processed fingerprints or other hidden evidence and illuminate that to help illuminate it for photographing. So like, let's get some fucking sick lasers in here. We know that there's fingerprints hidden around here somewhere. You know when something's so cool that you just assume it's some made-up Hollywood bullshit? Like, I, I was like, like... if you watched the intro to, like, CSI That's or what something. I was going to say. This is some CSI-enhanced like, type shit. Yeah. No, they really do. And they have preferred colors for different things. So wow. Like green light. Like, green light is better for, like, picking up details on a fingerprint or something. Wow. So that's if they're going to go with ALS. So you could also get oblique angle lighting. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> so using a flashlight, camera flash, or the ALS if you really want to. Right. At a very low angle, to ca- you use this to cast shadows. So it illuminates the imprint or the impression um, almost just to like boost the contrast of what you're looking at. Okay. So, like, if there was, like, a tread mark that, like, overhead, you're looking at it, and you're like, obviously, this is, like, the tread of a shoe or a tire. Mm-hmm. But if you get this really low lighting on it, it just completely enhances the shadows. Shows you where casts. the contours are. And yeah. so, especially in snow. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. 
And then you can do the good old macro lenses. So yeah. you get a macro lens in there. Take a real, you get a good close-up image. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, Post it on Instagram. That's what, <laughs> that's what they like to use for really small objects. So like yeah. tool marks, trace evidence, whatever. They'll get a macro lens out. Mm-hmm. But um, something else that I thought was cool was I was, I was reading this and researching, obviously. And I was like, I've seen people take, casts like plaster casts of um tire treads or footprints or whatever mm-hmm. but like it's almost always in dirt or mud i was gonna ask you how the hell do you do that in snow so don't I, tell me they use maple syrup no okay. All right. that's crazy that's for banam festival <laughs> so <laughs> i was looking it up because i was like i need to know I'm just curious about it. I've never seen that happen. Yeah. So apparently when you're making a plaster cast, the way that you mix it, which is just usually whatever the ingredient is with the water, while it's settling, it actually um, emits heat. Mm-hmm. So that can damage, just obviously, snow a, a print made like that you're trying to get from the snow. So while they're mixing it with the with the water, the plaster whatever the fuck should have looked up the ingredients maybe i don't know but anyway they add you don't go into details about what kind of plaster ingredients in your in your research bad podcaster (laughs) so while they're mixing it all up to make the the plaster they add in snow so that it can adjust to the temperature that they're going to be casting from that's really cool so then they lay it down over the tire tread and it's already sort of um, slushy, a little margarita <laughs> plaster. I was, what's Welcome the, to Plasteritaville. You're like <laughs> getting used to the temperature, like um, acclimatized. Yeah, it's yeah. already acclimatized to the environment, so mm-hmm. then they can get a good print without having to worry that as this ca- plaster is is settling, it's going to omit heat and melt it. Right, and as even if the snow that you've added it melts, the plaster is going to take its place, and it's going to have a solid imprint. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that cool? That is really cool. You're welcome, everyone. Jesus Christ, how deep did you go? I can't help it. I'm, I have OCD. <laughs> I'm going to go wash dishes now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> help! 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 Okay, so yeah, that was my tangent on taking tread prints with plaster and what the fuck special lighting means so Mm -hmm. welcome everyone thank you hi i'm christine and i'd like to introduce you to the true crime files podcast a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on mysterious disappearances and unsolved murders every two weeks we'll be releasing an episode that'll help you get to know a case really well without having to invest a lot of your time Derived from the articles upon the True Crime Files website, you'll find that our show covers a diversity of victims and perspectives. You'll probably also notice that our episodes are narrated by Scott Fuller from the Frozen Truth and Status Pending Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to the True Crime Files today so that you never miss an episode. Thanks so much for listening, being a part of our true crime community, and helping to shine a light on cases that might otherwise be overlooked or underreported. So, obviously, this all started because people were like, hey, there's tire prints here. We got to examine them. So, vehicle experts determined that the vehicle that uh, most likely dropped off Jacqueline's body, this vehicle was unique. It had four 
totally different tires in terms of make, model, and tread depth. All of these tires were different. So used tires. Obviously. And yeah. making it very unique because who the fuck has four completely different tires? Yeah. So <laughs> this part was really funny. Also, the vehicle apparently had the worst alignment problems investigators had ever seen. Oh, my God. I don't know how the fuck they could tell that, but they had a vehicle expert in here who was like, uh, this alignment is dog shit and i'm so surprised that it's still on the road especially in a canadian january winter oh my <laughs> How the god fuck is this thing still running wow so yeah lots of good evidence blood semen tire prints a weird ass alignment, alignment. <laughs> so naturally investigators start looking for answers to what happened to jacqueline and possible suspects because mm -hmm. woof so eyewitnesses uh their reports aren't always reliable mm -hmm. but according to the eyewitness in jacqueline's case she seemed to have willingly entered that white vehicle that rolled up to the bus stop so that made people think she must have known her killer right but just in reading this i'm like i get it i get why you would think that but ultimately, we we don't know that she knew the killer. What if the killer had, like, a gun or a knife or something and was, like, brandishing it, like, get the fuck in my car right now? Yep. And that could have, like, made her compliant. Mm -hmm. Or how can we trust that this one eyewitness didn't see her struggle? Like, maybe she did. Yeah. Maybe maybe she, she did struggle. Like, yeah. we don't know. Yeah. So if this eyewitness is correct that she didn't struggle, then maybe the theory that she knew the killer is correct since the murdered, since murdered women are typically murdered by someone close to them, someone that they know. Right. Or maybe she didn't know them, but they knew her. I don't like that. Now, here... I'm not victim shaming in any way, but Jacqueline had a major faux pas, which is that she had a set routine and she followed that routine every day. Exactly. Oh, no. In the morning, she would leave for school. She attended the Westminster Secondary School. Mm -hmm. Stay there, whatever, do your classes. After school, she headed to the Stanley Variety Store where she worked until 6.30 p.m. And then she took the same bus home every time at the same stop. And to get to school and to get to this, her job, the same route, walked the same streets, everything. Mm -hmm. So it would have been easy for somebody to learn her routine. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, you could literally just stand across the street and know she'll be walking by it at an exact time. Always change shit up. Always. Yeah. Change up your routine. There's several instances zigzag around, of why you'd want to walk do that. Down the other block instead, take the long way, take the shortcut sometimes. Uh, like you gotta change it up. You have yep. to. Keep people on their toes, man. Yep. Don't let people know exactly where you're gonna be always. Yep. So like I said, maybe this person knew her instead. Mm. There was a suspect. Actually, there was multiple suspects. Okay. There was one suspect. His name's Joe Clark. He was the owner of the variety store that Jacqueline worked at. 
he notoriously hired really pretty but really young girls to work the counter. Mm -hmm. And he was shady. He sold stolen goods and he offered porn on like a pay-per-view basis. He'd be like, come on in to the back room and you go through like the little beaded curtain and you just get to watch a dirty video. Oh, it's a jerk off booth? Yeah. Ew. Sure is. Sticky situation. That's repulsive and true. (laughs) Yeah. And it doesn't help that shortly after Jacqueline's murder, he sold the store and left town. Obviously, okay. this makes him look guilty. Yes, it, it does not look good. But the guy sounds like a huge dirtbag. So mm-hmm. he probably left town because this investigation was starting to shine light on all of his shady business. That he was selling stolen goods, that he was doing this gross fucking pay-per-view porno thing. Guys, trust me, the whole shop fell off the back of a truck. <laughs> <laughs> So you can look at it both ways. Like, oh, he left town. That's really shady. He must have had something to do with it. But you can also see it as, like, the guy was a dirtbag who had this fucking shady, shitty business. Yeah, you got to remember there's there's a fuck ton of, like, sketchy dirtbags who will just run away. And also, I've seen in multiple reports that when Jacqueline left at 630, Joe Clark was the dude that stayed because he's the owner. Mm-hmm. To- for like the rest of the shift that he would take on the rest of the shift after that so people would have said oh well from this time to this time the shop was closed i couldn't get in there yeah so it was at a busy a busy street corner where there was regular so they would have been like yeah i tried to go there but for some reason it was closed it was really weird and none of that and happened. no one no one ever said anything like that okay yeah so yeah so he just sounds really flaky yeah, he just sounds like, I don't want people to know or like try and catch me on my shady business. So I'm fucking out of dodge. Here we go. Yeah. Suspect two is um, variety, the variety store customers. So apparently this area of town was a magnet for like just straight up shady ghouls. Just little goblins coming in. One customer was a suspect because he was a regular at the store who frequently came in for those pay-per-view pornos. I don't ever want to meet someone who would frequent that and also back then. Yeah. And Woof. definitely not this guy because he was like. Pee Wee uh, Herman, what the fuck are you doing? Sorry. Aww. <laughs> Aww. I couldn't help it. He wasn't a violent drunk with a fixation on young girls. No, he just went to a, a dirty picture once and got he caught. I thought he was alone. <laughs> <laughs> he thought he was just in his playhouse. Oh, he was for a little bit. <laughs> Okay, so this suspect, he's a fucking gross little creepy frequent visitor to get in that weird booth for his pornos. He was allegedly a violent drunk and he had a fixation on Jacqueline. And he was a married to a 16-year-old. In London. How the fuck? Ew. I don't know how old he was, but he sounds <sighs> old. Yeah, what the, what the fuck? I thought that was like, I, don't I know. thought we had a little more leeway I than back then. I would have thought that would have been illegal. It's fucking gross, though. That's Even illegal. if he wasn't married, technically, <laughs> legal, <laughs> technically legally married. Either way, he was with a 16-year-old. Guess who was 16? Jacqueline. Fixation Great. on her. Just gross. So there was another regular customer that was a suspect. Mm-hmm. He worked at a morgue. <laughs> 
sorry. And he had recently been accused of trying to force a teenage girl into his vehicle. Oh. At the very same bus stop that Jacqueline had been abducted from. This is the grossest neighborhood. It's disgusting. I'm alarmed. I don't ever want to even drive by there. There's no way you could get the smell out of that place in the next 40 or 50 years. 50. 50 years. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ. But I need you to just sort of digest that. Morgue worker. Yep. Dead bodies. Yep. Jacqueline's body was placed like it was laying in a coffin. Oh, God. Yep. Abducted from the bus stop where he already was trying to pick up teenage girls. Yeah, it's the bus stop part that fucks me up the most. Like, like he's already caught being a predator in the same area already. Terrifying. Yeah. How's there this many creeps that go to one store? Imagine. Ugh. (laughs) God. Okay. It's the cheapest prices around. So. (laughs) Probably. Yeah, it's all fucking hot items. Yeah. Hot as in like lifted. I gotcha, I gotcha, I gotcha. I gotcha, but I get it. You're for the listeners, okay? Get get with the slang, all right? God. Yeah. Okay, so that was not... There's two creepy fucking regulars, but there, but there's a third one. He was, like, only quoted as a youth from the neighborhood that had spent years in a reform school for hanging a seven-year-old girl and pleasuring himself while he watched her die. And he was out. Yeah, because he was a youth. So he went to the reform school, and now he was probably, like, in his late 20s or mid-20s. He was just out and about. He was a regular at this store. That's fucked. That's so fucked. I don't even want to make a joke about that. That's really fucked up. There's no joke to be made. A seven-year-old? Yeah. That's just that's just fucking gross. Disgusting. Why the fuck? God damn it. So then there's, there's another theory that Jacqueline could have been mur- abducted and murdered by a serial killer. Most likely. I mean, hello, it's Forest City. Mm-hmm. So the crime scene could suggest that Jacqueline was murdered by someone who was already a serial killer or on their way to becoming one. There was the semen at the scene, which suggests that it was a sexually motivated crime. Mm-hmm. Even though she was, there was no like indication she was sexually assaulted, there was still semen. So there was something about this crime that was sexually motivated. Yeah, it wasn't a, a thrill killing by mm-hmm. definition, Mm-mm. like by by that happening, and there was the staging of her body, posing it like essentially it was in a coffin. Yeah, which can suggest multiple things, but like for example, it can it could be like the killer admiring his work, like laying out the laying her out, like there's I a, did this. There's a certain element of like meticulousness to it. Yes. Ew. And then there is the efficiency of the crime. I know it's not really a great word, but it it just it happened really quickly. She, she leaves work at roughly six thirty p.m. and she's found dead at eight ten p.m. Mm-hmm. So that's only an hour and forty minutes. That's efficient that's, for her to that's leave work, walk to the bus stop, wait, get picked up, get physically assaulted, murdered, and then dumped. That is efficient. That is so fast and has all of these weird undertones to it like is this was this premeditated or was this somebody who knew what they were doing had done it before and just executed what they know best yeah it screams a system right i mean like it screams the premeditated too right but it screams a system because someone who like uh, i'd imagine anyone else listening who was like oh yeah like 
like if for some reason I was in a situation where I was doing that, like an an hour roughly, like roughly. an hour and a half, right? Like no, <laughs> like you'd it's be fucked. freaking the fuck out. You'd be like, oh my god, but this guy fucking just did it and was like, oh, I'm no, done. It was like Bye. This. Yeah, just step one, clockwork. step two, step one, find her. Two, get her in the car. Three, beat her. Four, like like just yeah, an hour and forty minutes when she was found dead found dead laying there who knows how long she was already there yeah so just that part in itself is so just disturbing that is that's that's a practice killer that's what it sounds like mm-hmm. despite everything this the evidence found at the crime scene the dna the tire prints her body discovered so quickly the police investigation which has spanned decades because remember this is the 60s we're in forest city here mm-hmm. <laughs> and the list of suspects that i read out to you her murder, Jacqueline Dunleavy's murder, has never been solved. Her murderer is not identified. Mm, we don't know. Oh, my God. I don't like that because I was like, wait, I think I know people who have that really fucked up misalignment shit. They were, I think, around the area. <laughs> <laughs> not going to name names because of that. But we and she, know. we don't even know who. Oh, my God. Remains unsolved. That's terrible. And, uh, I was going to say, like, and there's DNA, but, like, I guess that doesn't really help right now. It could have, but obviously it didn't match anyone in the system at the time they tested it, at least, or if they ever did again. Oh, my God. That's terrifying, because you just drove home like this is practiced. 19-year-old Linda White was from Burlington, Ontario, and had moved to London to attend Western University's Huron College for the first year of her undergraduate program. After writing her evening French exam on November 13th, 1968, she was hoping to hit up the Frosh Week festivities with her friends. But everyone she asked was too busy or had other plans. Oh, lame. Did you go to Frosh Week? Hell yeah, I went to Frosh Week. Did you party it up? Yeah, we didn't have it for our first years. We had it for every single year. Sick. Yeah, I know like U of T and people like that said like, no, that was only for their first years. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, McMaster, that was for everybody. Damn, son. Mm-hmm. Did you play blackjack? <laughs> <laughs> I did not play blackjack. That is not my origin story. <laughs> so since none of her friends were available, she decided to head home to her apartment at 34 Argyle Street, where she lived with her high school friends from Burlington. When the weather was nice, she had no problem walking home, which was over a half hour walk from the college to her apartment. Mm-hmm. But this is November. So when it started to get colder, she she accepted rides from these two guys that were her friends from school. Mm-hmm. And they always dropped her off in the same location, which was two blocks away from her apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's speculated for different reasons why this was. One, she was just playing it safe. She didn't want anyone dropping her off right at her apartment so they knew where she lived. Mm-hmm. And two, it was easier to drop for her to be dropped off at this location because it was a main road so it was easier for her to just hop out and walk the two blocks also makes sense yeah this spot she was always dropped off at was on warren cliff ave if you'll remember that's where the variety store was located that jacqueline dunleavy worked at oh my god that road that variety store was on the corner of warren cliff and stanley so same area this is a fucking hot spot mm-hmm. 
Eyewitnesses saw Linda walking south from the intersection of Warncliffe Ave and Western Road, and this is the last time she was seen alive. The next morning, her friends found her bed empty and realized that she never came home the night before. They called her brother, who was still living in Burlington at this time, and he came down to London immediately. They searched her bedroom for clues of her whereabouts or her actions the night before. So they were like, let's check and see if she left anything behind that could indicate where she was going, if she made any notes, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, They didn't find anything, sadly. So they started searching the rest of the house. Mm -hmm. Still nothing. Okay. Her friends, family, and fellow students at the university began search efforts. They're like, let's just stake it out. Let's look around the, the her apartment. Let's look at the campus. Let's just check everything out, see if we can find anything. Mm-hmm. They couldn't find anything, so the police were finally notified because she still hadn't returned home. So they got involved, and they began questioning people in her inner circle. Right. Including those two guys that she usually got a ride with. Of course, yeah. Because her, her, all her roommates, who are also her, her friends since high school... We're like, yeah, she would, like, frequently get a ride from these two dudes. Gotta tell you, it's not looking good for those two dudes, because the, it, if it wasn't them, she didn't make it two blocks. Mm-hmm. Woof. It's, it, it's interesting that you said that, because they denied driving her. Really? And they denied driving her for 40 years. So up until recently, m- more recently, mm-hmm. they've always denied driving her. Right. And it could be because they didn't want to incriminate themselves since that would make them the last people that saw her alive. And if they had nothing to do with it, then why would they want to? It's not, it's not even, I can see why, but it's not even like a thought in my mind that's justifiable. Mm -hmm. Like if someone you knew who you knew enough to drop them off all the time, obviously you were relatively like close to just deny that you even do that and just, that's obviously an impediment to the investigation to find exactly. what's going on. Exactly. Why would you keep quiet? Exactly. That's what I have in my notes here. So if, if you lie, even if it's a small lie, you have a profound impact on the direction of the investigation, of the, on the flow of the investigation. Mm-hmm. I mean, in this case, it didn't really impact it, but it's still a problem with impeding investigations if huge, you even have the problem. slightest lie. It's like a butterfly's wings kind of effect. Like Mm -hmm. this one small detail made the investigators look in this direction. And meanwhile, it could have later down the road caused them to look in a different area. Exactly. So the timeline of events of her movements and stuff was not solidly established until 40 years when they finally were admitting (sighs) that they did drive her. That's the epitome of frustrating. Incredibly. A couple days later... Her family made a disturbing discovery when they conducted a second search of her bedroom. Mm -hmm. They were searching through her bedding when they found a pile of clothes. The same clothes that she was wearing at her exam. That day? No. They were crumpled up into a pile and stuffed under the bedspread. Linda's roommates insisted to her family that they had searched the bedroom, the bed, everything on that morning when they realized that she never came home Mm -hmm. and they were not there. Ew. So either they missed them. Yeah. That's what I want to believe. Miraculously materialized. 
Yeah. Or someone had gone back to her room and hid them in the bed. Why? Isn't that just the just creepy? Yeah, because it's not like you'd be doing that to cover your steps. No. You'd be doing it to send a message. Exactly. Ew. So the investigators obviously looked through the clothes. There wasn't any clues on them, though. There wasn't any, like, stains that could help them. There wasn't any tears to suggest it a struggle. Uh, in fact, it just left more questions. Yeah. Had she made it home and changed into new clothes? If that's the case, why did she change? Because remember, as far as we know, none of her friends were available to hang out for Frosh Week. Mm-hmm. So did someone else come in and plant those clothes there? Did she meet someone on that walk or agree to go out with somebody else that she just never mentioned? Like, so many questions. Just never mentioned and also he got into the apartment. Or Ugh. they got into the apartment. Her skeletal remains were found in a shallow grave in a tobacco field on May 9th, 1973, near St. Williams, Ontario, roughly 80 kilometers southeast of her last known location. Like, dude, like, buried in a field. Sadly, her case remains unsolved as well. Oh my god. It never went anywhere from, from those first few days. Those guys shouldn't have fucking kept their mouth shut for 40 years. Makes me wonder why. I know. Twenty-two-year-old single mother Patricia Bovin was discovered by her friend in her upper unit apartment at 790 King Street in London, Ontario. A friend called Patricia on Thursday, April 24th, 1969. When she didn't answer, her friend went by the apartment at 4 p.m. that afternoon and found her two sons, aged one and three, so just little babes, sobbing over her dead body. They were Mm. dirty and hungry. The front door that accessed the staircase was unlocked and there were no signs of forced entry. A neighbor found a blood-stained pillowcase by the front of the building, making the front door the probable entry point for whoever had done this to her. Weirdly, nothing was stolen from the apartment. So, kind of points to one motivation. Yep. Chairs and other items were scattered around Patricia's apartment, but that's because the children were attempting to reach food. Oh my god. She was stabbed in the torso over a dozen times while she slept on the sofa. She had no defensive wounds and there was no sign of sexual assault. In Murder City, a social history of the world capital of serial homicide. It's a long title. Michael Arnfield, who is actually, I don't know if he still is today, but he definitely was at one point a London police officer, Mm -hmm. as well as a professor at Western University. He connects Patricia's murder with the murder of another woman named Victoria Mayo, who was murdered on August 6th, 1964 in London at 194 Sydenham Street, which is only four kilometers away from Patricia's apartment. Mm -hmm. Neighbors heard Victoria's five-year-old son crying and called the police, but the door to her basement apartment was locked and her son couldn't 
uh, unlock it. He couldn't reach it. Right. So the police had to wait to be let in by the building's superintendent. Mm-hmm. When they entered, the police found Victoria lying face down in her bed. She'd been stabbed over a dozen times in the torso while she was sleeping. In such close proximity. And, and then an uncanny similarity. Yeah. I also hate to hear that. Um, with another small child. Yeah. That's fucking sucks. And that kid was locked in there. Yeah. Yeah. And then also like the the murder was like a murder of passion because it's several it does over times. Does dozen. No defense wounds. None because they were sleeping. What the fuck? The police didn't find any useful fingerprints or footprints, but the killer left behind semen and blood, so they were able to identify his blood type. Mm-hmm. They also found a large hunting knife in a nearby sewer. Oh. Whoa. In October of 1967, Sandor Fulip, Fulep walked into a Toronto police station and confessed to killing a woman in London three years earlier. He was charged with murdering Victoria and sent to a mental health facility in... No. Penetanguishing. Oh, God. It's her, it's her friends in Penetanguishing again. He was sent there for a psychological assessment. He was deemed mentally unfit and the murder charge was dropped. But let me tell you, that guy could scale walls. Weird. <laughs> <laughs> and it was an alias for Krusty Rusty. No. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. He was later charged again, but the case was thrown out because of insufficient evidence to support his confession. So he was charged. They were dropped. He was charged again. They were dropped. Okay. In February 2000, London Police Service announced that Project Angel had solved Victoria's murder. Project Angel. Yes. We talked about Project Angel in the London Chambermaid Slayer episode, so episode five. I knew that sounded familiar. So uh, Project Angel, I'll just give you a little rundown here. Thank you. (laughs) Investigators and scientists had been looking at London as a natural starting point for using new advancements with respect to genetic profiling. The successes of the Human Genome Project were the driving force behind a combined effort to clear the backlog of unsolved unsolved sex crimes and murders from London's past. Right. Project Angel began in the late 90s. Based on news articles that I've read, it appears it was mid to late 1998. Okay. It was a task force that consisted of the London Police and the OPP, They were assigned to the groundbreaking, high-profile initiative of exploring new DNA technology. This project is what identified Gerald Archer, the chambermaid slayer, as Mm -hmm. the murderer of Jane Woolley in 2000, nearly 30 years after her death. Okay. And that was from um, when they had gone into her apartment and there was that ashtray. Mm-hmm. And there was a bunch of cigarettes in it, and some of them had lipstick and some of them didn't. So they had collected the ones that didn't have lipstick, thinking this is probably the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. And that's what they used to identify the DNA. It was his. He murdered her. Right. It was that big, like, the gates are open. We now have this new way of catching all these people because mm-hmm. we did a really good job keeping the evidence. Yes. Right. So okay. that project that 
they started linking Gerald Archer, the chambermaid slayer, to those women he murdered. It also helped identify Victoria's murderer, which was this Sandor Fulip dude. Thank fucking God they figured out how to do that. They know that it was him because they exhumed his body in November 1999. They Mm -hmm. conducted the DNA testing at Toronto Center of Forensic Sciences, and they determined that he was the killer. So when he originally confessed way back when in fucking like october 67 Mm -hmm. he he really did it yeah he went through those mental health evaluations was the charges were always dropped but he fucking did it and dna has proven it proven it okay and so there's a lot of similarities between victoria's murder and patricia's murder Mm mm-hmm there's the home like the home style the home invasion style entry into their apartments there's no witnesses they were both killed while they were sleeping nothing was stolen there's no defensive wounds there's no sexual assaults they were stabbed over a dozen times in the torso they both had children who were left unharmed and they lived really close together yeah four kilometers away Despite these similarities, mm-hmm. Patricia Bovin's case also remains unsolved. Well, at least there's a little bit of closure on that one, because you can pretty much figure it out. Friday, August 14th, 1970, Soraya O'Connell attended a community dance regularly held at a youth center near Fanshawe Road, Fanshawe Park Road and Highbury Ave in London. Mm-hmm. The teens of this suburban area were actually recruited by the parents involved in the community to run the dances. Oh. London was a fucking shit show at this time, and the parents (laughs) felt it was a good way to keep their stir-crazy teenagers away from the sketchier parts of London, specifically downtown, which at this point was called Speed City. Oh my god. So they were like, we're in the suburbs, we're safe out here, let's just get our teens involved in activities out here to keep them away from the fuckery that is the central point. Yeah, give them something to do. Yes. Yeah, makes sense. I thought that was an interesting fact. (laughs) So anyway... Uh, Soraya didn't even want to go to this dance. She kept, like, ignoring and denying her friends' invites and requests for her for her to join them. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't want to do that. She was really shy and, like, sweet and just didn't, it just wasn't her scene. Mm-hmm. But they kept asking, so she finally caved and she went along. Okay. And the whole time at this dance, she was mostly just a wallflower until towards the end of the dance, um... At the night, the DJ around 9.30 kind of announced this thing that was called the Girls' Choice Dance. I don't like this. This is getting an awful <laughs> lot like Carrie. <laughs> I wish. It would have been a better outcome for Soraya, at least. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that it essentially, Girls' Choice is literally that. It's time for the girls to get out on the dance floor. They get to pick a dude that they want to dance with, and they bring them out and dance. So... So, she, like, a fucking 
nightmare for most people. For most people. Yeah. And sadly for Soraya. So she asked a guy who uh, his name Lenny. And he was like, the hottest guy in school. Oh, my God. It's Lenny. Uh, he said no and uh. started to make fun of her. For oh, no. Don't do that. And oh. she got really, really, really embarrassed. So she grabbed her bag and she just ran outside because she was like a fucking deuces. Fuck this dance. Yep. And it is really sad. The whole time she's a wallflower and she finally is like, I'm a fucking do it. I'm a yeah, go ask up Lenny. The courage. Yeah. And then he fucking makes fun of her. That's a dick move. Fuck Lenny. Fuck Lenny Ugly, so hard. Fucking snaggle tooth looking he motherfucker. He probably peaked in high school and as soon as he graduated, he looked like a plumber. <laughs> you know how many cases of that i've seen i don't even know what that means he coming, looks like a plumber <laughs> it looks like a stereotypical plumber yeah 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 the yeah, butt yeah, crack yeah. and everything yeah 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 yeah, yeah. you can like throw a pencil down that right 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 yeah, yeah. coming back to coming back to my hometown after like 18 <laughs> years of being away oh boys going into the grocery grocery mm. uh store a little bit more interesting now <laughs> So fuck Lenny, moral of the story. Yep. So when she ran outside to just get away from all of it, there was a group of girls out front because a lot of people just were here to hang mm-hmm. and they were just like, thought they were cool or whatever. They're just like, let's hang outside and smoke. So there's this group of yes. girls who were just like chilling, smoking. They sound cool. Well, yeah. I mean, I would have been. I we called right that the smokers pit. Of, yeah. Yeah. Heck Yeah. And there was always that one girl who was really mean and always charged me $3 a cigarette. Listen, you want to be part of the pit? You fucking bring your own cigs. Otherwise, I'm charging you a dollar a cig. What do you want from me? I hustled. I never, I never got hustled because I don't think I was a dick. So most people were like, it's fine. Oh my fine. God. My favorite is like, there's this one fucking kid and I'll say his name, PJ. I don't fucking care. You're a fucking loser. PJ, it's bad. I know your name. He comes out to the pit and he's like, oh, like, can I have a dart? I was like, sure, it's a dollar. He's like, a dollar for a dart? I was like, yeah, you should have your own. So I give him a dart and he's like, this is a fucking gold ring, man. That's disgusting. You smoke gold rings? And I was like, no, I smoke Belmonts. But if you want to smoke, you smoke a gold ring. Give me a dollar. Mm -hmm. Guess what? He bought two. Yeah, he sounds like a goof. I, call, I called him a goof, and then he was like, I'm going to get people to jump you, man. You know what goof means? I was like, yeah, we're not in fucking prison. I'm going to get people. I know. It was a whole scene. Anyway, they can keep this in because it was really funny. Oh, oh I Fuck wasn't going to cut it. I know that you're doing, like, dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> Saw you sleeping downtown, nerd. I made money off of you. Goof. <laughs> Okay, so there was a group of girls and they were really mean. Half of them were like, let's let's console her. This poor girl. She just totally got embarrassed. But the other half kept making fun of her. Oh, good. So the she duality was, of man right yeah, there. Yeah, so Soraya was just like, fuck all of this. I've had enough. I'm leaving. So she left the youth center. And at this point, it was around 9.45 p.m. Okay. Some reports say that she left to hitchhike. Actually, most reports say that. Mm-hmm. But... A ton of people that were here at this dance, a countless amounts of them, said, no, there was people here who offered to drive her home, and she didn't accept the ride. She was used to walking home, plus it was a really beautiful night. It was August. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a gorgeous night. She was used to walking. She probably just wanted to walk, blow off steam, and get home. 
Yeah. So it's reported that she hitchhiked, but who knows? She could have walked. She could have hitchhiked. I don't know. Yeah. I also throw a whole bunch of grain of salt uh, for reporting back then on this. And for the people out of this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't necessarily trust either. So just to say as like a disclaimer, she was hitchhiking or she wasn't. Regardless, she left at around 945 p.m. She was out of there because assholes. Yeah. (laughs) I would walk. Plus, she was like, I'm not. She was just like, fuck all of you. I'm not taking a ride from any of you. Yeah, Bye. I would, I would take a few darts from the... Uh, Hack a few darts. From the smoker's pit. Give a couple and, loonies over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they got to pay them. I mean, they... This why they brought oh the God. extras. It, speaking of, like, you're all going to the casino. Yeah. Those guys out in the smoking oh area. Oh, my God. They're like, can I have a cigarette? And I was like, no, I'm sorry. I only have one left. And they're like, okay, well, I'll give you money for it if it's yeah. your last one. And I was like, okay. But I did, it wasn't my last No, it one. wasn't. No, it wasn't. Because then I, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I talked to you and you're like, hey, look at it. I still got like a pack. <laughs> like I have a handful of all of this change with like a bunch of toonies and ladies. I, I wasn't surprised at all. We were both doing the exact same thing too, which was just like stroking their ego. <laughs> okay. What was with the one dude who just kept looking at you and going, we'll combine all our energy and make one big dick energy and he kept thrusting into the air (laughs) it was so weird look you gotta get on their level all right that was some next level shit some people have crystals some people have religion some people got big dick energy what can i say it was so much to each their own it was so much we handled them well we did yeah it was still so much because we were entertained (laughs) Okay. 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 Regardless of whether she hitchhiked or didn't, Mm -hmm. she disappeared into the night. Literally. The last time anyone saw her was when she left. Okay. She was never seen alive again. Mm -hmm. Her father called the police around 1 a.m. to report her missing. Mm -hmm. A constable was dispatched to get a description of Soraya so they could obviously know who the fuck they were looking for mm-hmm. they went to the youth center to look for her they investigated the whole area did a search by the next morning the only sign of her that the police had discovered was her brown and white purse an investigation into her disappearance began immediately the police issued a province-wide alert to law enforcement agencies to keep their eyes peeled for her mm-hmm. her remains were found Outside of Stratford, Ontario, on May 26, 1974. That's a good distance, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's someone fucking took her and drove her for quite a while to get rid of her. And guess what? What? Her case also remains unsolved. (sighs) That one strikes a i don't know why uh like i'm not i'm not suggesting anything but that one struck a an awful lot like a i know what you did last summer kind of vibe like a hit and run gone wrong oh my god walking it i know so many stories about people like from like small towns where a teenager killed someone else walking down the street because it was like dark out and they were wearing black or something it's horrible yeah. This one is just extra devastating too cuz she's just a young kid who didn't even night. want to go. Yeah. She didn't even want to go to this dance, which is really sad cuz then that means like every fiber of her being was saying no. I yeah. don't belong there. I don't want to go there. Yeah. 
And she just caved to make her friends happy. And then she had a dog shit night. And then Yo, she fucking went missing. Where the died. fuck were where the fuck were her friends? Also, I think they might have been some of those bitchy fucking girls out front who were like, "Oh my god, it's okay, Soraya." Oh while god. the other half of them were like, "You fucking loser! Why would you ask Lenny? Lenny of all people." Who Lenny has da- big, dance with you. big dick energy. Okay. <laughs> Lenny gave me a toonie for a cigarette. That's that's awful. Like that's just like that's so. That one's just plain sad. That one like, is is so sad. Like you didn't want to go, and then you're going there, and then you work up the courage to be like, okay, maybe I could do this, and then it goes exactly as you were fearing. I know. And then you didn't deserve it because all she did was ask someone for a dance. Yeah. Like you fuck, you walk up to anyone and you ask for a dance, but they say no. Like okay, but you don't have to make fun of them. What a fucking asshole. Fucking prick. I'm telling you, he peaked in high school. <laughs> Come on, see me throw his football over that mountains. In all of these missing people cases, all of these young girls that go missing, there was a German Shepherd search dog, and his name was Arab. And he was involved in all of the cases and worked with the OPP to try and find these these girls. Oh, it was the same dog every time. Yeah, he was Aww. part of it. He was a little officer. He literally officers, aren't they ranked higher yes, than their handlers? The canine officers. Yeah. I just was like, that's really cute. Okay, everyone, a little palate cleanser. Just imagine this adorable German Shepherd who's the officer looking for all of these girls named Arab, and he's so sweet. I I love that they rank them higher, but also I'm just gonna channel it. And, Going back in time. I'm gonna talk to Arab here. Arab, sir, you're the goodest boy. I love you, Poopy Doo. The, the goodest boy. Goodest boy, Poopy Doo. Officer. <laughs> love you, officer. Yeah. Okay. He had. Did he have floppy ears? Nah, he's a German Shepherd. They suck straight up. Oh, and they're straight really up. big and really cute he's a, and floofy, and I want to kiss him on his head. Because he's alert. He knows what's going on. Head does Jackie English was described as sweet, bubbly, and a hard worker. She waitressed part-time at a restaurant called The Latin Quarter and the diner of the Metropolitan Store. The Met, for short, uh, was Canadian. It was a Canadian department store, apparently. Really? The Metropolitan, yeah. People called it The Met. That's so fancy. Was it a fancy store? I think it was just like a fucking Zellers or something. <laughs> I don't know. That is such a Canadian fucking thing to do, though. I know. Oh my god! Like our, like most people, they had like Sears and shit, but like our Hudson Bay and e- Eaton's mm-hmm. are part of like Canadian like so was folklore. This apparently, the Metropolitan. Wow. Or like Woolco, like shit like that. Yeah. Like fuck, I don't know. It was apparently a big deal. Anyway, I guess if you're a local, this uh, Metropolitan store is now a drive test location. (laughs) A a drive test location? (laughs) (laughs) It's like a strip mall. It used to be called the Treasure Island Mall. It was like a strip mall. I don't like that Treasure Island. I guess you're thinking of Treasure Trail. That's all. That's exactly why. (laughs) Because it was a fucking drive test. (laughs) At this time, we're in the late 60s. Treasure Island Strip Mall was beyond city limits and, therefore, bus routes. 
Okay. And Highway 401 was right there. So the mall was more like a truck stop. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, On the 401, too. Oh, yikes. Yeah. And also, let's not forget that London is like the halfway point between Detroit, Michigan and Toronto. It's traffic city is what you're saying. I'm saying. Traffic king city. I'm saying. Yeah. On October 4th, 1969, 15-year-old Jackie English was waitressing at The Met in the outskirts of London. She finished her shift around 10.30 p.m. and headed up Wellington Road to catch a bus because she had to leave where she was working and head more towards the city since she's in essentially the fucking middle of nowhere. Right. So as she was crossing the Highway 401 overpass, a witness reported seeing Jackie get into a sedan. So many red flags as you said that. This was the last time anyone saw her. Past going over that overpass and getting into a random sedan. Makes me wonder, was it white? Did it look like a Chrysler? I don't know. I don't know. Jackie's sister, Anne, remembers having this gut feeling that she would never see her sister again. Oh. In an interview with W5, she said... I just knew that Jackie wasn't coming home. Other children had gone missing in London, in London, and turned up dead. And she thought her sister, like and she just had that feeling. That her sister was one of those girls oh. that just go missing. Oh no! So sad. That's really sad because she had that like weird connection to mm-hmm. kind of like already internalize it. That's really sad. And like, it's your own sister, and I guess, and apparently they were really close, and. Obviously, you would want to be hopeful. You would want to think, Jackie's going to come home anytime. Some weird shit came up. It's fine. She's coming home. She's coming home. But Mm -hmm. her initial gut reaction was always, I'm never seeing her again. Mm -hmm. And, ugh. Ugh. That's devastating. It's suspected that Jackie's killer and most of the other active killers during this time used that newly constructed Highway 401, uh, which is now actually one of the busiest highways in the world. Fun fact. You wow. probably knew that. I've been on it enough. You wouldn't be able to sneak that one by me. <laughs> so it's suspected that killers would use this as like an access to leave the city quickly, get in and out unseen. Like, you it's, just summed up the 401. I know. It's I know. just weird to think about because like around my area, they're planning a new highway, right? It's mm-hmm. the 413. Um. 413 whatever they end up calling it 413 yeah but it's weird to think like they would have never really seen that coming when they were planning it right like no but here we are in london you mean just planning the highway in general in general no 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 you would never think of anything bad you would think we're making it easier for commuters we're making it easier for access we got interchanges, whatever, whatever. You wouldn't yeah. think, wow, this will be really cool for fucking freaks to have an es- essentially an, an easy getaway. Yeah. No, that's not what you're thinking. But it's yeah. disgusting that that's a reality. And now they're making one, another one, like right next to it. Okay, but it, yeah. it's 2022, okay? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a little different, maybe. Yeah. Kind oh, of maybe. Sure, we'll see. Human trafficking is real, guys. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I really don't know. I, I could see it. Um, how many minutes away from you, from Brampton, are you? Brampton right. is a pretty crazy spot these days. It's like a 10-minute drive. And they're going to put a highway in there? 
Nah. We're going to put a highway in there. I'm not going to say nothing about it. Yeah, we're putting a highway in there. Five days later, Jackie's nude body was found by two duck hunters in Big Otter Creek, 70 kilometers away from London. I've never heard of that creek. She had been sexually assaulted. Two mm-hmm. separate semen samples were found on both her and her clothes. Her clothes were found scattered around country roads in Oxford County and Elgin County, and brown penny loafers were found neatly placed beside a pond at a lover's lane west of her body. Her cause of death was blunt force trauma from a, from a, either like they speculate like a tire iron, a hammer, something like that. Something that is a, a blunt object with very a dense impact. Ew. Oh. Very scary. The only viable clue to go off of in this case was her diary, which detailed her daily routines and was found among her belongings. Included in the diary was a photograph of a man whose identity has never been confirmed. They have the photo, but they don't know who it is. I have a photo as well. I'll post it on social media. There's something about that that's so creepy. It is really creepy. Yeah, that's very upsetting. It's just already creepy to imagine going through someone's diary and personal belongings and stuff but then to find this picture of a man that you don't know anything about and no one's ever helped you identify him you're like who the fuck is this person yeah who is like my mind immediately goes who is this fucking 15 yeah who's this grifter who's unidentifiable (laughs) and no one comes forward saying i recognize them yeah ew so the opp did however reveal a suspect in this case Mm -hmm. it's a man named david and that's all they would say it's a man named david now he resided in tilsonburg which is a town about 50 kilometers southeast of london and remember she was found about 70 kilometers southeast of london Mm -hmm. witnesses described seeing a man who fits david's profile inside the met speaking with jackie okay from the opp's standpoint at this time at least the information about David was guarded due to, like, legalities or whatever. They were like, we don't really want to say anything about him, but we know that he's a pretty sus person, and he's, <laughs> he's who we're looking at. Sus. You know, that seems to me right off the bat, like, not I weird. I would never think they would do it with a name, but you know how, like, investigators hold off on releasing s- certain elements that oh, like they already we know? about the beginning, hold back evidence? Yeah, and then they just want to see that if someone comes forward with that information they never released that they know like this person's not fucking around right yeah that that's what it seems like here just i've never seen it with a name well i'm not worried about david no so i'll put him on blast and i'll talk about the horrible shit that he did <laughs> his name is david bottomer <laughs> He was 21 years old when he kidnapped, raped, and murdered a 20-year-old woman named Georgia Jackson on February 18th, 1966. Okay, yeah, put him on blast. Fuck this guy. Georgia was a member of the Congregation of Jehovah Witnesses in Almer, Ontario, which is about half an hour southeast of London. Guys, I'm so sorry gonna be hard for me to not say anything about jehovah witnesses <laughs> same they're watchtower home bases in my hometown oh just wait yeah okay 
She went missing while walking home from work at the Alamar Dairy Bar. David Bottomer was also a member of the Alamar Kingdom Hall of Jehovah Witnesses. So he participated in the searches of his fellow JW. Mm-hmm. George's corpse was found almost a month later. She had been hit over the head with a blunt object, strangled, raped, and left in a wooded area just off of a road near Alamar. She was left partially exposed, and some of her clothes were scattered on nearby rural roads. Just like Jackie. Yeah. So not only was David a JW, he was a, he was the minister. He was the minister, and he was a father of five children. BTK vibes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Over the next few years... (laughs) Some of the elders of the Almer, Almer, I don't know if I'm saying that right, whatever, Congregation of Jehovah's Witnesses suspected that David was responsible for the rape and murder of Georgia. So they confronted him with a deadly weapon. Really? The Watchtower. (laughs) That was their deadly weapon. (laughs) It's like the Eye of Sauron. <laughs> they used the watchtower and they were like, hey, you know that the watchtower has a teaching that states Armageddon is coming in October 1975. So you better admit that you raped and murdered Georgia. And if you don't, then you're going to be destroyed along with all the other non JWs. Yeah. He confessed. Really? That worked. Wow. Of course it did. Yeah. I he wants know. to be saved just... by Jehovah. He wants to be one of the, like, I don't know, tiny fucking handful of people that get to go with Jehovah. Yeah. And so he confessed and he was disfellowshipped. <laughs> they were like, bye, David. <laughs> you can't even, you can't sit with us. And they, they, the elders actually took his confession to the police. You know, it's real bad when the fucking religious community fucking turns on you and goes mm-hmm. right to the cops. They're like, That's how you know you're they a were fucking disgusting rapist pig yeah. murderer. That's that's what I meant. Like not that they knew, but like that he was just so outward about it. And like, the, and even that they suspected it, and they were like, "Tell us, you did it, you did it, you did it." And he's like, "No, yeah. no, 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 no." And he's like, "They're like, well, Armageddon, man." And he's like, "Oh no, mm-hmm. okay, I did it." And they're like, "Fuck you." Also, spoiler alert for 1975. Jesus. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I oh, don't no, like. Guys, it didn't happen. Oh, I no. don't. I don't like that the the like headquarters in my town is called the Watchtower. Like it's the main fucking thing. Yeah, you you just have the headquarters in in the essence of the magazine. Yeah, the yeah. JW headquarters is in Brooklyn. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I, you know what? I thought it was the headquarters because no, it's this just for the magazine. Creepy little fun fact for you though: it's partly underground. I you drive by it and it looks like a farm with a field but it's actually an entrance with an underground little section and it goes all the way underground that is so creepy you don't know, like you gotta it gotta go to like the georgetown library or something and get some schematics of this it's right across place. the street too i don't know how we haven't done that <laughs> it's fucking weird that's yeah fucking oh weird, actually man. i was 
looking into something about the history of my hometown and it was on the main street and I saw the newspaper clippings. If there's ever a part of Ontario that just has that fucked up hot fuzz vibe, it I swear to God, guys, it's going to be fucking Georgetown because I came across, I finally came across the article about it and I'd heard about it my whole life. But the fucking KKK had a downtown rally they were like the last holdup in Ontario. They fucking had a goddamn rally in there in 93. And you just fucking like a kilometer back from the downtown. Same street basically is the goddamn watchtower. Like we got Ew. so much bad juju going on in there. So much bad juju. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I found it um, from an old uh, newspaper clipping from 93. It was wild. In Georgetown, that's gross. Yeah. That's fucking gross. Yeah, 93 is a little fucking too late for that kind of shit going down. That's not good. Well, yeah. yeah. It's shit that should never, ever, ever have happened. But mm-hmm. to think that it was as like recent what? as 93 and then on top of it, to just know... Everyone knows what the KK, KKK is. Mm-hmm. And it's horrifying. Disgusting. Just... Just absolutely just deplorable people. And then to think, wait, that happened in, in your case in my hometown. They rallied. Foot, footsteps from my house. Like. Footsteps. Ew. Yeah. So and, like. And then, yeah, like the whole point you're making is just an added grossness on top of the. But creepy. I do have a little tidbit that'll bring your spirits up just a little bit. The What I had been told when they did that. There was obviously a lot of pushback from residents of Georgetown. So much so that the story goes an old lady walked up to the clan member who was doing his rally there. Fucking snagged his hood off his head and said, what are you hiding for, bud? I love her. <laughs> just a little old lady. Oh, just, I love her. And it's the little old ladies you gotta look out for because they're the ones that'll fucking do it. <laughs> they don't I give a shit. I love them. I'm on the side of the little old ladies. Yeah, I have nothing to hide, ladies. I'm with you. Yeah, exactly. I fucking love that. That's wild, though. Yeah, I had to share that because that was yesterday I came across that article and I was like, oh, I just have to tell you about that. I'm in Brantford, which is fucking ghetto and country as shit, and I've never had any sort of KKK. That's why. That's what drives me nuts. Yeah. It's like, why the fuck? Um, wow. Okay. Where was I here? The uh, watchtowers, the deadly weapon, and the Armageddon, and all of that. Okay, mm-hmm. so David's confession was reported to the police. He was arrested, and prosecution and conviction followed soon after. Mm-hmm. Of course, he pled not guilty. Oh my god! But he was still convicted and sentenced to life in prison in 1972. Yeah, I mean, in that guy's fucking head and life, he confessed before God. Yeah so and there was evidence too they had like yeah. the cops had like gone to this junkyard where he had tried to scrap a car and inside the car there was there was blood and it was sampled and matched georgia there was a glove belonging to georgia that was found in a demolished property that he had previously rented mm-hmm. and they were like dude yeah, you can like, say come not on. guilty all you want but we got you yeah in typical Canadian fashion, he was released in 1970. No. 1982. No. So he served maybe 10 years. For murder. 
and rape. And, and lying about it, about it, too. Disgusting. Like, showing no remorse, technically, in my mind. So I'm telling you all about <sighs> this fucking freaky weirdo David dude. Mm -hmm. Because in 2014, a show, To Catch a Killer, which is led by Michael Arnfield, which I previously mentioned, he is the London police officer, Western University professor, that guy. He led this episode. They aired an episode where they reported their findings to the OPP. Their findings make connections between the Jackie English, Linda White, and Soraya O'Connell homicides. Mm -hmm. And a solved murder and convicted killer. David. That's the link that's made. David could easily be connected to Jackie English, Linda White, and Soraya O'Connell. Mm -hmm. His full name and details in the show weren't disclosed the same way the OPP won't specifically disclose it, but no, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> so during the show, they compared a police sketch from witnesses who saw a man in the diner where Jackie was with a photo of David, and it shows similarities. Mm-hmm. They also got a bunch of specialists together and there was a geographic profile made, which used Rosmo's formula. And they plotted points on a map where English was, where Jackie English was. Why would you do that? That's the Richard Ramirez sketch. It <laughs> scares me every time. Couldn't help it. Well. <laughs> We did a composite. We're pretty sure we have our man. It's so fucking bad. I know. And it's creepy. His eyes are creepy. <laughs> okay. Richard Ramirez. You're literally throwing it in the I trash am. can. I am. Like, bye, Richard. My trash pile and my fucking garbage pile. A geographic profile used Rosmo's formula, which plotted points on a map where Jackie was abducted from, where her body was recovered, and the various places where her personal belongings were found. Because remember, some freak fucking scattered them on rural roads. Okay. So that's what a Ros Rosmos is, right? It's like, it's just points of interest. Uh, kind of like tracking where she was. Pretty much. So Rosmo's formula was actually designed by a former Vancouver police detective. Mm -hmm. And it's it's exactly that. Yes, it is a geographic profiling formula to predict where a serial criminal lives. Uh, it relies on the tendency of criminals to not commit crimes near places where they might be recognized. Oh, but it, the formula allows for recognition of places that they could easily travel to. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what the formula is. Okay. So according to this formula that they implemented, thinking about David, mm -hmm. um, they realized that the home base for these other murders, so like I said, Jackie, Linda, Soraya, it would make the home base in Tilsonburg, really close to where David was known to uh, reside. Oh, so that lined up. Mm-hmm. All right, David. And then we got Big Otter Creek, where Jackie's body was found. It's only 30 minutes south of Tilsonburg. Okay. 
it's and really within the up. county, within the county of where the clothes were found scattered. The three points to a sadistic, necrophilic serial killer who drove far, disposed of his victims, days, weeks, or even years after killing them, and scattered their belongings far away from their bodies. The killer is thought to have kept slang souvenirs and hidden jewelry or other belongings at his home base. Remember, this is all based on the show that they made and the the essentially formula that they created. Right, yeah. Okay. That's um, fucking I, that's really upsetting. Like fucking necrophiles, Jesus Christ. So the OPP com- like when this episode was released, the OPP commented and and said that this show in in and of itself is essentially its own independent probe mm-hmm. and it has no connection to their investigation and the evidence they have. So even though in the show they say, we submitted this evidence to the OPP, which right. they probably did if they're saying it. Yeah. It's just sort of um it does need to be said that it was just it was for the show. It is in my opinion anyway, a good connection. Mm-hmm. But yeah. No, that's a strong fucking connection. And, and you- besides David I told you about David. He's a fucking freak. I don't care if in To Catch a Killer, they don't want to talk about who he really is, but I'll fucking tell you because he's a freak. I mean, like, the I'd imagine an investigator's wet dream is finding a matching pattern of something. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, I would be like, mm, I think you might be on to something. And who knows what their records look like. The The problem is that in so many cases investigators or like whole teams of people who are working on a case they know they fucking know they just don't have like enough evidence yeah in a particular situation to act on it or whatever so it is so just and naturally wild you can't to imagine like well what do they really know yeah and naturally just, you can't, can't just come out and be like yeah dave did it you don't want to fuck yourself over yeah enjoy your fucking crippling lawsuit yeah yeah that that is upsetting the twists and turns and fuckery whatever it doesn't stop there though there's Mm. other strange crimes revolving around jackie english jackie english's case okay ready for this it's just like what how many twists and turns can we have we've already talked about a potential link of a fucking creepy ass killer david yeah creepy ass i'm gonna say it cult cult killer creepy ass creepy cult killer that's an alliteration that's ca- i should write for the papers yeah. i should write for the newsies oh shit <laughs> you know what you got moxie kid you know what hold the lead no scratch that kill the lead and make me a ham sandwich hmm? i'm hungry yeah, me too <laughs> we'll eat after yeah <laughs> i'm almost done December, okay, so like I said, a bunch of fucking weird twists and turns in Jackie's case. Okay. December 1969, Betty Harrison, who had is one of the witnesses that gave a description of the suspect that was seen talking to Jackie at the Met where she worked. Mm-hmm. She, Betty was attacked in her car. She was driven out to the country. She was attacked again. But I guess she was saved by her dog before she was killed. Are you the dogs are the heroes in this entire episode? I know. Yeah, unless Arab was the villain. No, 
No! Don't you dare. He's been at every crime scene. Stop it. <laughs> so Betty accused a man named Glenn Fryer of this this attack. Mm-hmm. He was the principal at the Children's Psychiatric Research Institute in London. She said, Betty was like, yo, this fucking guy, Glenn, he's the one that stabbed me. And they went to trial. It was a whole fucking situation, this trial. I'm not going to get into it. Look it up yeah. if you want to. But ultimately, he was acquitted. And okay. he, the OPP have never said that he's a suspect in Jackie's murder. Just a coinky dink. Three years later, or just less than three years, in 1972, a fire breaks out at Elmwood Apartment where Jackie used to live. 1973, three Harrison family members. So Betty Harrison, who accused Buddy of stabbing her. Mm-hmm. Three family members died in a house fire that was ruled an accident. There was a report that the night prior to the house fire, someone tried to pour gasoline on their car, but was interrupted uh, by like concerned people nearby being like, don't fucking do that. Okay, good. So yeah. before they could light the match, people were like, stop it. And they ran away. Okay. Pretty sus. That's scary. Weird, right? These yeah. Weird coincidences. Yeah. More than 50 years on, Jackie's sister, Anne, the one who was like, I knew immediately that she was dead. Yeah. She continues to preserve her sister's memory through vigils and awareness. In October 2019, she held a memorial on the Wellington Road overpass to mark the 50th anniversary of her sister's murder. Mm-hmm. And told the London Free Press, quote, Whatever Jackie went through is over for her now. It's over. But there are still people who love her, miss her, and want to know who is responsible. End quote. Yeah, because they want closure. And they still do these walks all the time. These little memorial walks. Because, (laughs) like clockwork, I guess, in this episode, Jackie's murder is unsolved. Oh my god, that's so heartbreaking that they're still to this day, 50 years later, they're still doing this. Mm-hmm. That's that's really heartwarming at the same time. Like, that's, it's beautiful in a way, but like, goddamn. I know. Yeah. from the 60s and 70s. He's responsible for us knowing a lot of this information. He kept diaries, paperwork, documents, everything. And throughout his life, he would periodically go back to them and he would try and connect the pieces because he truly believed the cases were solvable. He truly believed if you delved deep enough into these girls' murders that you could find the answers and that... Some of them could even be connected, which also goes back to what Michael Arnfield uh, was suggesting in his program and in his book, where there's three cases that are connected. 
Sadly, Dennis passed away in 2012, but when his son, Dennis Jr., was looking through his things, he discovered the huge stash, like essentially a time capsule for Forest City, and it all went to Michael Arnfield to look through, to sort through, knowing that this work was important, that Michael Arnfield knew what this stuff would contain. He was a professor at the university. He had a lot of involvement and respect towards unsolved murders. So he could essentially continue this legacy. He passed the torch. Yeah, he passed the torch. That's badass. So he could essentially continue this, keep the exposure going, get these victims' stories out there and bring these families justice. So we can't talk about Forest City and these unsolved murders and the amount of information we have without acknowledging Dennis Alsop and his son for finding the documents and Michael Arnfield for pushing it out there into mainstream. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. The victims' families, especially Jackie English... Uh, they're also responsible for us knowing about the cases because they're the ones that keep their loved ones' memories alive. They're the ones who constantly push their stories out there. Mm-hmm. So you have just like this whole circle that works together and is like, there was fuckery happening. These cases are solvable. We need answers. Somebody please with the resources, the authority help us come on yeah yeah and we're not gonna stop elevating it and in a way our little pod here is helping that here we go here's a story here's all these unsolved murders it's just all of this like these little pieces of like this one machine that is like working like let's go yeah keep it going keep it going talk about it talk about it i mean i've i've said it before like i remember we you always would joke like okay stick with me i'm not gonna give you a history lesson and then i always chimed in saying if you don't like history, what the fuck are you doing listening to true crime? Mm-hmm. Because I'm sorry, like to me, like true crime is um, is history. Yeah. True crime is just a subsection of history. And these people are keeping memories alive, keep, keeping real people, real stories alive. Real people that they loved. Yeah. That was a part of their life and that yeah. they have to think about every day and have no answers for. Yeah. Exactly. And the only thing that the OBP can really say is that, um, well, these cases are still open. Yeah. Yeah. I know. They're like, these are still open. Don't worry. (laughs) And you know what's sad about all of this? What? Everything I just told you, which was a fuckload. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. That's only a part of the unsolved murders from Forest City. That's not even all of them. There's more. And I'll get into those one day. So we're still not done with Forest City. <laughs> of course, still I not out. I don't even know when we will be. We're but... not out of the woods yet. No, we're not out of the forest yet. Oh, ma'am. Okay, everyone. Remember, this is the last episode of April, which means now it is time to select next month's episodes. And May has five Mondays, so you guys are in for a little bit of a treat. Mm-hmm. We know that episode 20, which is going to be release, released on May 9th, is Dyson's episode, where he's going to do 
spooky ghost story type deals from Parliament Hill. Yeah. But that leaves four Mondays that we have to choose episodes for. So, Dyson, will you please bring up the generator? Or I can do it. I have a computer. I have a computer, too. I can help. (laughs) Okay, now you bring up the generator. Just get one that um, picks, like, a number between one and whatever. And... 34. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. We have 34. Would 34... I clicked save. Would 34 please come up to the front and claim your prize. Dennis Raider. (laughs) Kidding. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) It's going to be Donald Ewan Cameron. He operated between the 1920s and the 1960s, and he was guilty of unethical medical experiments. Ew. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. So that's episode 19, everyone, May 2nd. Okay. Okay, so episode 20, obviously, ghost stories. Generate another one because we have to pick episode 21 for May 16. Okay, here we go. <laughs> 21. Joseph Naso. Hmm. An American serial killer and serial rapist sentenced to death for the murder of four women. Gross, Joseph. Oof. Okay. Excellent. All right. Do it again. Episode 22, May 23rd. What are we talking about? All right, 21. We had number 21. 22. We're going to have number... 31. The Halifax Explosion. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yep. Wow. I'm excited for that one. I know that Halifax one. Halifax Explosion, 1917, Nova Scotia, Canada. That's a good one. Okay, you got to do it one more time for episode 23 on May 30th. Okay, here we go. 24. 24, okay. Robert Raymond Cook was a Canadian mass murderer. All right. I don't like mass murderer. You know what? It's what we picked. Woof. We'll put the schedule up on social media. Hell yeah, we will. So, wow. We got a really dark May coming up. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Stay tuned for my fun and quirky old <laughs> white men haunting Parliament Hill story. Honestly, I think that would be the <laughs> light in the tunnel here. Yeah. I'll Ep- make it funny. Episode. 19 may 2nd is the unethical medical experiments episode 20 may 9th is dyson's ghost stories on parliament hill yeah episode 21 may 16th is joseph naso so the disgusting serial murderer and rapist Mm -hmm. episode 22 may 23rd is the halifax explosion in nova scotia canada you know i bet you could find a lot of like really good interesting facts that aren't they won't maybe bog you down as much but I Don't know there's tell me a how lot to do of my job. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Just kidding. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Um. Episode 23, May 30th, will be Robert Raymond Cook, a mass murderer, Canadian mass murderer. So we got a lot of Canada up in here. Oh yeah. And again, we'll put the schedule up on social media. Buckle up. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to this week's episode. Make sure you rate and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram, on Twitter. 
this is where you can send us case suggestions so that at the end of May, when we generate our next month's topics, maybe we'll choose yours. Yeah, so you get it in, get it into the in. mailbag. Visit our link tree where you can buy us a coffee. That's how we get the energy to write all this amazing content. Mm-hmm. Be sure to listen to True Crime Files. Their episodes are great for a quick binge. I actually used their amazing website as a source when I was writing some of this. Yeah, they're great, huh? It's fucking crazy how that works out, man. They're awesome. Yeah. Love them. And bite-sized. It's perfect. Mm Mm-hmm. Thank you, everyone, as always, for your kind words, your support, your encouragement. We love you. That's why we do the show. You're here to listen, and we're here to deliver. We'll catch you on the dark side. Bye. Now, it is so important. (coughs) (laughs) (laughs) Why is this spicy? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you got me going. Ready? Ready. Music one. Bone saw is ready. I've got you for three minutes. Three minutes of playtime. <laughs> I love that man. <laughs>